Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> I'm delighted to say that whilst out wandering around my local graveyard the other day, I was attacked. Five little beings came through the graveyard ghoul gates. Not ghouls or ghosts, but patrons. Christina Hargis. Jennifer McPherson, Jane Brown, Eldritch Gnome, and Tammy Weston. These five wonderfully evil beings punched me in the face, repeatedly, with wonderful fists of encouragement. Thank you so much. These guys will be enjoying the ad-free early access of the regular feed, the monthly bonus exclusive episodes, and will get their names in our books and all that lovely jazz. If you too want to become a patron come out of a ghoul gate and punch me in the face with wonderful fists of encouragement head over to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and pledge from as little as a dollar a month today's episode is the paperweight written by a.l king and narrated by persephone rose my son howard is 28 years old but on a good day he has the mind of a first grader he wasn't born like that he did it to himself He almost did far worse to his mother and me. He brought us little art projects, and I sometimes wondered if they were his way of apologizing. Macaroni pictures, beaded bracelets and necklaces, and finger paintings from Wilcox Grove. That's the adult daycare where my wife and I sent him between six to eight hours each weekday so we could go to our jobs. Now he neither lives with us nor goes to Wilcox Grove, but given how much the service cost, it seemed at the time that we both worked so much just to be away from him. 
how he was hardly a patriot before his suicide attempt, but he had since come to appreciate a good fireworks show. After the weather began warming, he would count the days until our yearly celebration. Closer to the 4th of July, he really started laying on his gifts. Maybe he thought the more of his art he graced us with, the bigger the boomers we would bring home. Boomers. That's what he called fireworks. Still uses that silly word. Whenever we visit, he wants to know when he can see the boomers again. Always tell him soon. And I'm always lying. Close your eyes and open your hands. He had said to me one morning about five years ago a week before Independence Day. I'm not afraid to admit that I feared closing my eyes around Howie and refused to put my back to him. He could have recreated the entire ceiling of the Sistine Chapel with glued-on macaroni, and still I wouldn't have offered a glance if it placed him behind me. The pathetic grin on his face was so unthreatening, however, I shut my eyes and held out my hands, hoping they would not tremble. This became more difficult the moment a hard object greeted my palms. It wasn't the stone that bothered me. It was the wetness it wore. Open your eyes, he said. I opened them to see the rock. A series of red, white, and blue slashes were randomly strung across the surface of the stone. He reacted before I had a chance to feign excitement. It's a paperweight, he explained. For your work. I hadn't needed a paperweight in decades, not since my job as an ads manager for a small town newspaper that made us use fans if we wanted to stay cool in the summertime. This means a lot, I said as I turned the painted rock over in my hands. The red had dried, but the fresher white and blue stuck to my palms. Later, when I returned home, I found bits of those flaking colors floating in my thinning hairline. It was embarrassing to think I'd walked around like that, vibrant dandruff on display. Howie didn't notice my apparent repulsion. He squealed in self-satisfaction. I figure I wasn't lying. Despite his artistic limitations, there remained meaning in his creations. Mostly, unfortunately... That significance existed only in tragic contrast to the works he used to create before he burned down our previous residence. Although I had the 4th of July off, I went into the office to pick up the boomers. We never stored them at home for fear that Howie might find them. Instead of a quick grab-and-go, I lingered sat at my desk and stared at the ugly paperweight he gifted me. The rock rested on a stack of ad schedules which had no trouble remaining still on their own. The paperweight was there simply to be there, as a reminder of my son's condition. The erosion of his talents became painfully obvious when I glanced up at the painting he'd done for me when he was just fourteen. Although it was somewhat crude, I had been impressed enough to hang it on the office wall. It featured a white and black man shaking hands with each other. Not sure what he intended, maybe it was meant to symbolize racial unity. I suppose I could try and 
pry an explanation from the dead part of Howie's brain, but I have no interest in driving almost four hours to his current holdings just to talk symbolism. No matter what he may or may not be able to reveal about the painting, his actions have since lent to interpretation. I'm not racist by any stretch, but my son had been heavy-handed in his portrayal of the darker skin color. He looks less like a man and more like a shadow. His shadow. The more I study his brushstrokes, the more obvious it becomes. I see Howie striking a deal with his darkness, shaking its hand. He was fourteen when he painted that piece of office art. He was sixteen when his artistic renderings took a disturbing lilt. He was eighteen when he siphoned gas from my Buick, downed a bottle of sleeping pills, and set the house on fire before crawling into his bed. He was twenty-three when he handed me the stone, still wet from blue and white paints, but not red. The red had been dry. On that day, on that faithful 4th of July, I returned my gaze from the painting to the rock and saw that there was no longer any red. The shade had darkened. It wasn't quite as dark as the man in the painting, but it was getting there. Also, it was flaking. I moved the paperweight and brushed the flakes aside. That's when I saw her face for the first time. Sylvia Semple looked up at me from beneath the word MISSING, which was printed boldly in all caps. I set the rock back down on her picture. I figured some sort of bleeding heart had thought to include the printout in a round of memos. I remember thinking it, it was a huge waste of ink. What were the chances that anyone who worked at the TV studio would find the poor girl? We could do our part by simply sharing her image during broadcasts, but how many young women who went missing for a week were ever seen alive again? Office phone rang. I answered. Hello? It'll be dark soon, my wife said immediately. When are you planning on coming home? Got a little distracted by work, I lied. Just wanted to organize a few things. I'll finish up and be on my way. You better get here soon. Howie is growing awfully impatient. He would like to speak with you. Put him on the phone, I said, smiling in hopes that some festive sentiment might creep into my voice. I don't think it worked, but I don't think Cheyenne would have noticed if it did. She was probably just happy to have him out of her hair for a moment. Hey, Howie, I said the second I heard his heavy breathing on the other end. How are you doing? Fine, he said, dragging out the word. I'm excited. For boomers tonight? I asked. Yep, I can't wait. Neither can I, I lied. I'm looking at the red, white, and blue paperweight you painted me. I'm ready to celebrate freedom. He practically shouted into my ear. He went on talking, but my thoughts drowned him out. I told a lot of white lies. You have to with someone like Howie. 
but I was at least honest about looking at his latest work of art. In fact, it was impossible to look anywhere else. The red had become red again. Bright red. Somehow brighter and redder than it was on the morning he handed the paperweight to me. That vibrant shade was also glistening wet, as if sweating. The crimson alone suddenly began cascading from the stony surface, spilling onto the missing picture of Sylvia Semple. I flung the paperweight into the garbage can beside my desk, promised Howie I would be home soon, and hung up. I then made to assess the damage done to the stack of papers, and that's when I saw that there was no damage, no wetness. It seemed impossible the way the rock was bleeding. Bleeding? What a funny word to think. Rocks don't bleed. I peered inside the trash can to find that the rock wasn't even wet. Those dark spots were back, as flaky as they had been prior to my apparent hallucination. I reached down and gave the stone a brief grip, but I could not bring myself to remove it from the bin. The flecks felt too strange as they slid beneath my fingernails. I grabbed the bags of fireworks I'd stockpiled in the office and made for the door. I'd woken up to smoke on the night of the fire, grabbed my still unconscious wife and managed to get her to the front lawn. By the time I went back inside and removed Howie, who had taken to calling Howard when he turned 17, the damage was done. He almost suffocated to death on the smoke. After about two weeks in a coma, he woke up. He acted so much like our Howie again, the child he had been for so long before the darkness showed itself. Of course, by then I knew the truth. That sickness was in him, even as a boy, and it was difficult to believe that something so sinister would perish easily with part of his brain. The incident at the office had seeped into my psyche with the ease of smoke slipping into the airway of someone asleep. The haze produced by the boomers brought that night to life, upsetting me more than usual. I would typically enjoy a few beers during our Independence Day celebrations. Drinking was the only way I could get through them. However, what I experienced only hours before had upset my stomach to the point where I couldn't handle more than a single sip without gagging. My mind kept going back to the face of Sylvia Semple. According to the printout on my desk, she was last seen going for a run. I set off a few big boomers before deciding to keep things lighter. Strangely, it was a Roman candle that set me off. Howie was jumping all about the smoke and waving a sparkler while an array of colorful flames shot up behind him. He seemed happy and pure. But all I could see was a demon dancing through a rainbow version of hell. I had to get away. The second Roman candle I'd planned on lighting next in hand, I turned and started walking away from the house, beyond our backyard and toward the woods. As Cheyenne and Howie called after me, asking where I was going, I wondered the same. My pants suddenly felt a bit heavier. 
I reached into my pocket with my free hand and pulled out that horrid paperweight, which I knew should have still been resting in my garbage can at the office. I went to toss it aside, but for some reason held onto it as if it were an anchor tethering me to earth. Except it wasn't tethering me, it was pulling me, leading me. I started running. I pushed into the thicket about 300 yards behind our house and climbed the hillside and only stopped when I almost plunged into a gully about 40 feet down. So suddenly had I come upon the cliff, I was fortunate that the force leading me decided to kick back, bringing me to a halt. There was enough starlight to illuminate the rocks below, but the glow was too minimal to see much of anything. I dropped the paperweight and lifted the Roman candle I'd yet to ignite. I then took out my lighter, lit the fuse, and aimed the stick downward. The first burst of light shot into the rocky pit, and I saw on the rocks, some no doubt the size and shape of the paperweight, what looked to be a person. I held my breath, waiting for the second burst to prove or disprove my eyes. That way felt like an eternity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. The Paperweight was written by A.L. King, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Carl Hughes, and muted by Uncorpse and Tom Robson, with sound effects provided by Zapsplat.com. The artwork for today's theme is by Luke Spooner at Carry On House. A.L. King wanted to let us know that it's important to note that the character of Howie in this tale was on a sinister path well before he suffered cognitive impairments. Please do not take the spooky little stories or reason to see or treat those who have suffered brain damage any differently. No matter who we are and what struggles we face, we should try to show each other patience, kindness and respect. Also, did I mention that I was out wandering around my local graveyard the other day and I was attacked? Five little beings came through the graveyard ghoul gate, not ghouls or ghosts or zombies or evil demons but patrons Christina Hargis, Jennifer McPherson Jane Brown, Eldritch Gnome and Tammy Weston these five wonderfully evil beings punched me in the face repeatedly with wonderful fists of encouragement thank you so much these guys will be enjoying ad-free early access of the regular feed the monthly bonus exclusive episodes and we'll get their names in our books and all that lovely jazz so if you too want to become a patron and pop out of a cool gate and punch me in the face head over to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and pledge from as little as a dollar a month until next time The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.